The time is now. Volume 3, Episode 47. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt, your host of this podcast from Cozen O'Connor. You know, the summer is a really good time to do a cleaning, whether it's a body cleansing or it's a garage cleaning. Uh, Summer seems to be that time of the year where, you know, we want to start new, start fresh. It's also a good time to take stock in where you've been and where you are after the first half of the year. And today we're going to do that. Today we're going to do a top 10 list because for employers, the first half of 2019 has really been... Yes, it's been a whole new world. And so we've titled this New York New World. Why, you ask? Well, I'm going to be giving you the top 10 list, 10 employment laws that you may have missed in New York if you blinked in the first half of 2019. And I want to give credit and a shout out uh, to a couple of my colleagues. First of all, Jen K. Lees in my labor and employment department uh, for putting this great work together. Um, Why is this important? Well, it's not just important for those of you who have employees or operations in New York, in New York City, or some other county in New York, though clearly it's important for all of you just to make sure you haven't missed anything. But I also don't think that you should be turning off this particular episode just because you may not have employees or operations anywhere in New York. Because like California has been over the years, New York is very quickly becoming one of those trend-setting states. And while I've talked a lot over the past few months, past couple of years, about how employment law is not just a federal practice anymore, in other words, you don't just have to pay attention to what's going on uh, by the federal government and the federal courts and Congress, The states and local governments are taking action that you need to be aware of, and New York is really leading the charge thanks to its Democratic governor, uh, Governor Cuomo, uh, its Democrat-led New York City Council, for those who are in New York City, and the Democratic New York City Mayor, Bill de Blasio. So, sure, if you've got operations and employees in New York, I think this is an important one to listen to. But... If you're either thinking about expanding to New York or you're just really still interested and involved in employment law around the country, um, you probably need to hear this because if these particular new laws that just came to New York have not come to your jurisdiction yet, they probably will sometime soon. 
So let's go through my top 10 list for today. And number one is a real big one because we continue to see change after change, new law after new law in the area of harassment and discrimination, particularly when it comes to sexual harassment. So New York State has just signed into law um, really uh, some sweeping changes uh, to the New York State uh, human rights law, which is the New York State statute dealing with harassment and discrimination. The effective dates for these changes range from being effective immediately to effective one year from uh, the enactment, depending on which section you're talking about. And I want to go through what some of these sections have done to change New York State's discrimination and harassment law. First, a real significant one. Under federal law, you generally have to show for hostile work environment harassment that the workplace harassment was either severe or pervasive. New York State, the new law, has just removed that requirement. So in order to constitute a hostile work environment for discrimination cases or retaliatory harassment cases, um, you no longer, if you're the employee, have to show that the conduct was severe or pervasive. Now, employers can still defend themselves by showing that the alleged harassment uh, only constituted a petty slight or a trivial inconvenience, sort of the same standard that courts have started to use under the New York City human rights law. But quite significantly, and unlike federal law, now New York state law will no longer require that the harassment be severe or pervasive. The new New York state law also eliminated what's referred to as the Farragher-Ellerth defense that has been developed and recognized under federal law. I don't want to get too bogged down in the legal mumbo-jumbo, but Farragher-Ellerth is named after two separate federal cases that created a defense for employers. It created a defense when the employer could show that, number one, the employer maintained a procedure to allow for employee complaints in the workplace, and two, that the employee did not avail him or herself of those procedures to make a complaint. And that used to be an affirmative defense, a liability defense, for employers to be able to show that we shouldn't be liable under that defense. Well, employers are now under New York state law no longer able to raise that Farragher-Ellerth defense uh, as a defense to liability. Employers can still sort of argue it, um, particularly when it comes to damages and try to mitigate damages, but it is no longer determinative and it is no longer an absolute defense um, expressly under New York state law. Oh, here's another significant change. I don't know a lot of companies who have over the years been worried about the employee threshold number because under New York state law, unlike federal law, there was only a four employee threshold number. So that if you were fewer than four employees in your company, you were not covered by the New York state human rights law. And if you had four or more, you were. Well, this new enacted law in New York removes the four-employee threshold for the New York State Human Rights Law to apply. So it's now applicable to all employers in New York, regardless of size. Next, the sweeping law applies the protections of the New York State Human Rights Law to domestic workers and non-employees, not just in cases of sexual harassment, but in all cases of all kinds of harassment and discrimination. The new law also allows employees to recover punitive damages against private employers in certain cases. 
Again, you previously had just federal law allowing for punitive damages. Then, a few years ago, New York City law allowed for it. Now, New York State law allows for it. When it comes to attorney's fees, New York State human rights law, the new, uh, newly enacted law, now requires courts to award attorney's fees to a prevailing party. It used to be that it was discretionary, so that a court was permitted to award attorney's fees. Now it's required under the New York State human rights law. And I get questioned all the time, well, what about defendants? What about the employer? Can the employer, if it's a prevailing party, get awarded its attorney's fees? Well, the answer is sort of yes, but real difficult to get that. What do I mean? So if you are a prevailing employer or a prevailing defendant in one of these harassment or discrimination cases, you can recover your own reasonable attorney's fees, but only when you can show that the employee's action, the lawsuit that was filed, was frivolous. Not that it, you ultimately won or the employee ultimately lost, not that the case was ultimately dismissed, that it, but that it was frivolous which basically means that it had zero, zero basis to be filed in the first place. There was no circumstance, factually or legally, where that case should have been filed. And I know everybody says when you get a case, if you're the defendant, uh, you're the employer, that this case doesn't have any merit, this case is wrong, um, but is a real high standard to show that something is frivolous or not. Next, uh, you'll remember in 2018, uh, there were all kinds of non-disclosure and mandatory arbitration restrictions um, that came into being for sexual harassment claims. The new law here in New York just expanded those non-disclosure and mandatory arbitration restrictions, not just to sexual harassment claims, but to all discrimination and harassment claims. And then finally, you typically, from a New York state law standpoint, you typically had um, one year to bring a claim administratively to the New York State Division of Human Rights, or you can have a three-year statute of limitations if you were going right to court. Unlike federal law, you don't have to first go to an administrative agency for New York state law purposes. You can either go to the Division of Human Rights or you can go into court. Now we got rid of this one-year uh, requirement, this one-year statute of limitations, and now the statute of limitations for both filing with the administrative agency in New York and going into court for New York law both have a three-year statute of limitations. So what does this really mean? First of all, if you're doing business in New York, I think it means you're probably going to find yourself um, with a lot more lawsuits. And I don't mean you particularly, your company, but I'm saying employers in general. I think the more we are expanding statutes of limitations, the more we're broadening definitions, uh, and the more that we are relaxing the standards to prove harassment or discrimination, you're going to find more employees not only being able to file and, and going ahead and filing lawsuits, but that it's easier to get past in some kinds of cases the summary judgment or the early dismissal motions. The other thing I think you're going to find with these cases is that it used to be most of the employment cases went to federal court. And you can debate whether it was a good thing, a bad thing, whether it would be quicker, whether it would be slower. But I think the more that New York State and certainly New York City law is not only 
mirroring federal law, but going beyond federal law, um, you're going to find that a lot of these cases are no longer going to be filed in federal court. They're not going to go to the EEOC, the federal government agency that tends to be a precondition under Title VII to, before you can go to federal court. You're going to skip all of that most of the time, I think. They're going to go right now into state court and just assert claims under New York State and New York City law if the operations are in New York City. So we're going to see a lot more cases, I believe, in New York State court rather than federal court. What does that mean? You might have um, a greater number of state court judges being more overwhelmed with these kinds of employment cases. Uh, you may have more state court judges getting involved in these cases than they used to because it typically was a federal court federal judge issue so it'll be interesting to see if these state court judges um, are as willing more willing less willing to entertain dismissal motions in these cases when they might not have had a lot of experience dealing with these cases and again that's for those of you in new york for those of you outside of New York, still listening to this episode, um, I think a lot of these changes are going to be coming to your jurisdiction as well when it comes to harassment and discrimination cases. That's number one. Let's go to number two in our top ten list. And uh, here we are expanding certain salary history bans across the state. Uh, you may remember from an earlier episode that in April of 2017, New York City passed legislation referred to as the salary history ban, where employers were not allowed to ask about an employee's prior salary history. The thinking was and is that to the extent there are um, unfair inequities in gender pay, that that continues to perpetuate itself if each subsequent employer gets to hear about and then rely on an employee's prior salary. Well, New York State has now just enacted its own expansive salary history ban law. It will be effective on January 6th, 2020, and it essentially mirrors New York City's 2017 law. Employers will be prohibited from orally or in writing requesting or relying on salary history of applicants or employees in order to determine what that employee's salary will be at uh, the new job. Uh, it also obviously prohibits retaliation against an applicant or a current employee based upon prior wage or salary history or because an applicant or an employee refuses to or fails to provide prior salary history. Um, one notable thing, unlike the New York City law in 2017, this new New York State law does not have any exception for current employees who are applying for an internal transfer. Keeping with number two, and just to give you a sense that what we're talking about with these new laws is not, ju they're not just on the state level, they're not even just on the city level, many counties, many villages are getting into the game. So Suffolk County, nice big county out on Long Island in New York, has similarly just enacted its own salary history ban as well. This took effect on June 30th, 2019, and it also prohibits employers in the county of Suffolk in the state of New York from inquiring about or relying on a job applicant's wage or salary history. 
Now, again, this is not just limited to Suffolk County, not just limited to New York City, not just limited to New York State. If your jurisdiction where your company is operating has not seen this kind of legislation, my bet is that at some point soon, you very likely will. Number three, keeping with sort of compensation and equal pay issues, uh, New York State has enacted some real significant changes when it comes to equal pay protections. This one becomes effective on October 8th, 2019. And whereas the equal pay requirement in New York State used to require equal pay for equal work, now the state has relaxed that just a little bit, and maybe not so much a little bit, but now it requires equal pay for substantially similar work. Substantially similar work. It is very likely we are going to have litigation uh, for that term of art. What does it mean not only to be similar work, but what does it mean to be substantially similar work? Also, whereas it used to uh, be that this equal pay requirement was only a gender-based one, now we are prohibiting pay inequity based upon other protected classes such as age, race, creed, color, sexual orientation, national origin, gender identity or expression. In other words, all of the protected classes that exist for harassment or discrimination cases now can form the basis of an uh, an equal pay claim under New York state law. So we will most undoubtedly see um, a wave of litigation filed uh, under New York state's equal pay laws, and equal pay continues to be one of those real significant issues around the country. We move to um, an amendment to New York state law that um, tweaks, and maybe that's too softly put, um, but clarifies race discrimination under New York state law. Um, this is another thing that I have mentioned before. Earlier this year in February 2019, uh, I mentioned to you that New York City issued guidance on discrimination based on hair or hairstyle. I also mentioned uh, in just the last episode that California um, had enacted uh, a prohibition on hair or hairstyle discrimination. New York state just did the same. So we're just waiting for the governor to sign it. And um, once we do, um, this is going to be effect, in effect in New York State as well. So now discrimination based on race will now include all traits that are historically associated with race, including but not limited to hair texture and protective hairstyles. Protective hairstyles will be defined to include um, such things as braids, locks, and twists. And the New York State law follows guidance that has been issued, as I said, on the same topic by the New York City Commission on Human Rights. This will now be statewide. So let's go to uh, a couple of leave-related changes. Uh, number five on my top ten list, we'll start with paid voting leave. This became effective in New York State in April of 2019, and under this new law, a registered voter may, without any loss of pay, for up to three hours, take off so much working time as will enable the employee to vote. Now, it doesn't say the employee um, is uh, only limited to three hours. What it says is that you're not going to lose pay for up to three hours. So if you're able to prove that you needed for some reason more than three hours to be able to vote um, as time off, 
um, you can take whatever is reasonable to enable you to vote and you won't lose pay for up to three hours. Uh, an employer can still designate time off either before or after a shift um, if that is certainly practicable. Moving on to another type of leave law, and again, not just on the state level, but on a county level. This time we're dealing with Westchester County uh, in New York. Uh, this took effect um, in April of 2019, and employees who are in Westchester must begin to earn leave as of July 10th, 2019. Um, and so, like you've seen on the state level and in New York City, certainly, here's another example of a county in New York getting involved with um, earned sick leave. And it does very much, with some minor uh, nuances or minor differences, it does very much um, reflect what is contained in New York State and New York City law. But again, as I keep repeating myself, it's a great example of counties getting into the employment law game. Number six, gender, G-E-N-D-A, the Gender Expression Non-Discrimination Act. That became effective in February of 2019, and it made it unlawful under the New York State Human Rights Law for the first time to discriminate against somebody because of that individual's gender identity or expression. Gender identity or expression is defined as a person's actual or perceived gender-related identity, appearance, behavior, expression, or some other gender-related characteristic, regardless of the sex assigned to that person at birth. And this would certainly include the status of being transgender. So we added this gender identity or expression as a protected class, uh, as a protected characteristic under New York State law. New York City has uh, engaged in some significant legal changes in the first half of 2019 as well. They just enacted a marijuana testing ban. A marijuana testing ban. Now, that's not going to take effect until May 10th of 2020, but it's something you should be thinking about now if you have current operations or employees in New York City. So this New York City law makes it an unlawful discriminatory practice under New York City anti-discrimination statute to require that a prospective employee submit to testing for the presence of any THC or marijuana in the prospective employee system as a condition of employment. There are certainly uh, some exceptions, um, for example, for positions that require supervision of children and medical patients, some uh, certain law enforcement positions, uh, and also employers are still able to prohibit the use of marijuana at work and uh, can still prohibit employees from working while impaired, um, but you cannot, as a condition of employment, require marijuana testing if you are an employer in New York City. And we have spoken quite often about this particular trend as well going around the country. States, local governments getting into the act when it comes to marijuana and making marijuana legal in certain jurisdictions with some restrictions when it comes to the workplace. So a real important development for employers and employees here in New York City. But again, I can't stress enough that this is not just a New York City specific issue. 
let's go back to talking about um, adding new protected characteristics. And when I mentioned gender a moment ago, uh, talking about gender identity or expression, that was a new law enacted in New York State. Let's go for number eight on our top ten list, back to New York City. And what New York City has just um, enacted, which became effective on May 20th, 2019, it adds sexual and reproductive health decisions to the list of the New York City Human Rights Law's protected characteristics. Sexual and reproductive health decisions are defined to include any decisions to receive services which are arranged for, offered to, or provided to individuals relating to sexual and reproductive health, including the reproductive system and its functions. What do we mean? What are some examples? Well, some examples of this might include fertility-related medical procedures, uh, prevention procedures for a sexually transmitted disease, testing and treatment, and family planning services and counseling. All of this falls within the umbrella of sexual and reproductive health decisions, which is now a protected class under the New York City law as of May 20, 2019. We go to number nine on the list where New York City has expanded their lactation laws as of March 2019. So New York City has two components to its lactation law. First, employers are required to provide a lactation room and a refrigerator for breast milk storage that is located in reasonable proximity to the employee's work area. A lactation room is defined as some sanitary place other than a restroom, that's shielded from view and it's free from intrusion by other employees or other individuals. At a minimum, it's got to contain an electrical outlet, a chair, a surface on which to place a breast pump, and some nearby access to running water. Employers also are required to engage in a cooperative dialogue where providing a lactation room poses an undue hardship for that particular employer or its particular office. The second requirement is that employers need to maintain a written policy that contains a statement that employees have a right to request a lactation room and employers have to provide the particular process on how to request one. And there are all kinds of requirements for that. So two components to the new New York City lactation law, one that provides and requires a particular type of lactation room, and two, the particular written policy that employers in New York City must maintain. And this, too, is not a New York City-specific requirement. This is something that we are also seeing sweeping around the country. Finally, number 10 on our top 10 list is a real interesting one because it's not one that you've heard very much about, I suspect. Um, and it's under the wage and hour umbrella. Now, wage and hour laws we have talked about quite a bit as being maybe the closest thing to strict liability in employment law. Um, I'm probably overstating it a little bit, um, but there tends to be less wiggle room for violations of wage and hour requirements than there are defenses to such things as harassment or discrimination cases. Many times when you have a wage and hour violation, uh, you're able to have personal liability or even criminal liability in some cases. Now, this is not one that has been signed by New York's governor yet, 
but it's worth pointing out and watching. Um, both the New York State Assembly and the New York State Senate just passed a bill that would allow current and former employees to obtain liens, to file liens on their employer's personal and real property based on an allegation of an underpayment, some wage violation. There are a few things to note here. Number one, this applies, uh, would apply, I should say, to wage claims under both New York labor law and federal law, the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA. Number two, there is arguably a very broad definition of an employer. It would include owners, even managers and supervisors. And number three, and I've saved probably the most uh, critical uh, one for last, you don't necessarily under this new or proposed law have to get a judgment or even prove that you're owed wages. Simply by alleging that you were underpaid, you can file a lien against the employer's personal and real property. There are some defenses and there are some procedural limitations. This has, as I said, not been signed yet by the governor. Um, however, it does appear to be on its way to being signed by the governor, in which case that's a real significant development. It may take a little bit of time uh, for employees and their lawyers uh, to know about it and to understand um, the procedural mechanisms and how they go about doing it. But just wanted to point this out as uh, a tenth law, a tenth issue that you may have missed in the first half of 2019. So I'm going to let all of that soak in for just a second. Well, actually, you probably need a little bit more time than just that. So I'm going to go now and let that soak in a little bit. Those were our top 10 new employment laws in New York, but coming to a theater near you in your jurisdiction, that you really should be thinking about if you haven't already. Until the next time, as always, I appreciate very much you listening to the podcast, and I hope all of your labor is productive.